Vice President of Business Development at the Automation Lending Company, Upstart. We talked about trends in lending, starting with the perils of digitalizing manual processes without automating. You know, probably the most common topic is some nature of digitization. Like what, and I don't think just, I think everybody, my concern with leaders in lending when we started it was if I bring a bunch of bankers on and ask them what's going on in lending, they're all going to go, deposits are down or up, loan demand is down, and digital is the future. And I go, well, that's a pretty boring podcast if you keep doing that same message. But I think a lot of what we're talking through is what makes a good digitization strategy? Where are they focused? Um, there's been a ton of conversation around blending high-touch experiences with highly automated digital experiences and how do you kind of meld those into the, the best user experience overall. Um, and a, a lot of discussion of the need to not just kind of digitize for the sake of digitizing, but to really transform the processes into a better experience. And that, I think one of the guests from uh, Liberty Bank said, you know, if you start with a digital goal and not a process transformation goal powered by digital, you're really going to miss the mark. And you've got to start with that kind of process re-engineering. So that's there. And then I will say the other episodes people really like are the kind of the really cutting edge of things that are new and different. The, the BNPL, where is that going to go? The crypto, what's... What is that? Is it going to be a thing? Is it a is it a Ponzi scheme? Is it a is it the future of finance? You know, there's a lot of differing opinions. I think people are really interested in in what those what those things represent in terms of the future of the industry. I will say you talked about process and yep. the importance of process engineering, and of course, I think that's very important with automation. Um, so, how can technology, especially automation technology, help help them digitalize and help them with the, this process? Well, I, I think it's, I mean, it can help, but I think ultimately it's kind of, you've got to reorient the goal from digitize. Um, you know, I, I gave this example yesterday in another conversation. My wife is a physician and, and she had an example of digitizing a doctor's office during COVID. And they like, they bought 20 iPads and a nurse walked an iPad for each patient into the patient room. And the doctor went room to room uh, talking to different patients on different iPads over zoom, but like they did it like they were in the physical exam rooms. He was walking around to all 20 rooms one at a time and they were setting up in each room. And I think that's a funny example. Um, and I give them a lot of credit because it was a very short term thing, but I, I think it's, it, it indicates to you when we think of digitizing as the goal, you end up doing that. You digitize the old way of doing things. And what people really want is an easier experience enabled by digital. And so digital isn't the goal, it's the tool. And the tool needs to be easier process. And that's where automation really comes in. So things like, you know, if you're trying to do ID verification, you know, in the branch, you just ask for an ID. And that was easy. And everybody had it because like, and I got it in my wallet. I just pull it out, hand ID, easy. Um, now we think, well, the digital version is take a picture of the ID. And that's like a way to do it. Um, but there's also a lot of third-party tools, automated systems that can do checks. A lot of times, even if you take the picture, a person looks at it as opposed to uh, some of the software that can do automatic, automatic recognition of valid IDs. And are you looking at other signals that could give you confidence in the identity of the person? So to me, it's really that, you know, if I want to look at bank statements, can I in integrate with a bank a depository, my system, or use Plaid or Yodli or one of the other systems to pull in data and look at that as opposed to saying, please upload you know, your last four months of bank statements, then my underwriter will look at all of them and try and determine if your income is represented there as you stated it. I think that's like, that's what happens when you have digital as the goal of digitize it, 
right? You, you uploaded the document from your phone, but you still waited two days for the person to review and get back to you as opposed to did I automate it and make that process easier for the consumer. So to me, that's, that's the goal really is the easiest process for the consumer. Digital just gives you so many more tools and so many ways to automate what used to be manual processes. And I think that's got to be the, the true north. Otherwise, you're going to end up with that kind of doctor walking room to room or, you know, the lender I talked to who digitized our auto process uh, for an auto loan, but you still had to walk into the branch to sign the paperwork and get the check. And I went, well, like, it's great that I could apply for my phone, but if I got to come into the branch at the end, you, you didn't really make it that much better for me. You, you know, you kind of, you missed the mark a little bit on a really digital experience. Yes. It's, it's a paradigm shift in a way, right. To think about automation and, and uh, automating rather than just duplicating through technology. Mm -hmm. um, so what do you think is missing there in our ability to make that shift? Is it just a lack of knowledge of solutions or what, what do you think causes that? I think disconnect? it's, I mean, it's, it's a number of things. Lack of knowledge of solutions is, is one. I think you just have, um, particularly in financial institutions, so many stakeholders, right. That have a perspective. So the risk team is not comfortable with, you know, they're comfortable with the way you did ID verification in the branch and they just want to like, copy and paste and lift over. And so I think too often we don't get the whole institution, all the stakeholders from credit and risk and compliance along with product involved in the discussion, bring them in early and really have a conversation about how do we meet our requirements in a new and different way. Um, and that's, it's the path of least resistance, right? Is to just like, I don't want to have to go mess with compliance and risk when I'm building this new thing. So I'll just do the thing that they're already comfortable with. And so I think it's, it, it's that, and it's just, it's a new muscle. That's it's been the way we've worked. This is this is a kind of unique moment um, over the last decades when you can truly transform a process, and that's just not a muscle we as institutions have. It's like totally re-engineering a process. We've shifted them, but we haven't really totally transformed them in this way. Uh, and so I think it's just it's it's a making sure you get the right people in the room early, that you're asking the right question, right, and you're really thinking about what you're trying to do. Um, and and being willing to go out and look and, and, and rethink about how you do things and think about things in a different way. And sometimes it's just, you know, it takes a, it takes a village, so to speak. I mean, in, in a bank or a credit union, there are, there are a lot of people who have to get on board with that plan. Uh, and it's easy for any one of them to stand in the way. And I think, you know, getting that, that, that team, uh, you know, all rowing in the same direction and seeing the same vision is really the, the key thing that you have to do. That's, it's hard. It's not easy. And it's not the natural, I think, inclination for most people in the industry. It takes a village, but it strikes me it may also take an executive sponsor. I mean, and, and there, I think about this in terms more of uh, citizen developer programs. I mean, mm. I wonder if that creates a risk of automating what we have rather than automating what we could do. Um, yeah, I think I, you're right. It takes an executive sponsor. And the, the executive sponsors I've seen be most effective are those, I think there's a an inclination to as a business owner say, Hey, this is what I want to do. And then you like, you do all your due diligence, you have your whole plan and you bring it to your legal team, your compliance team, your risk team, your credit team, like fully baked. Right. And you go, here's what we're going to do. And then of course the natural inclination of all of them is go, Oh my God, like you're totally doing everything. Not the way I want. And the best executive sponsors I see, see the kernel of a great idea. It could come from a citizen developer or anywhere else, right? Where it's an idea and they go, hey, let's go get everybody in the room and talk about how we can make the process better and make it better for the institution, make it better for the customer. And let's get a plan together. And that's what I really mean by it takes a village is if, if you wait till the very end to get a stamp of approval from all of the committees, 
they're all going to react negatively because it's like a, a change in the way they're thinking and they weren't involved in the design. And they may come and go, hey, I like this automation, I automated ID verification, but I need these two things or this fallback process. If these things are high risk, what are we going to do? And they get comfortable with the plan. And I think getting all those stakeholders involved early in defining the solution is really critical. And if you don't do that, then you're just going to like, I had this brilliant idea and I ran into a brick wall and I couldn't get it over the line, right? And we've seen that too. And I think that's the... Um, the process to get people involved early. And it does take to, to convene that those groups, right? It takes a relatively senior person often in the bank. So you've got to have a sponsor that's going to say, hey, I want to bring these constituents together because I think there's value in whatever that project digitization effort is. Um, and, and that's, I think, critical to getting it done. You have a unique position, not just as a podcast uh, host, your senior <laughs> vice president of business development at Upstart, which has uh, been this hugely successful startup. Um, Thank you. <laughs> I wondered what opportunities either you or Upstart in general sees for automation or technology that you think most institutions are missing right now, that they're just totally like maybe it's an example you've seen or. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just think I don't know that they're missing it, but it's the magic is in the execution uh, and the willingness to go do it. And I'll give you, you know, I, I give examples and I, I won't name my bank because it's um, I don't want to call anybody out, but like I went through a mortgage refi process, right? And it was fully digitized, right? But it was still loan officer centric. And there was still like, please upload this document, please. And all of these were things that were API enabled. And they had just kind of, they'd built the old process. They, they you know, and there's, I get it in that case, there's like a whole bunch of loan officers who want to get paid. And if I went through a self-serve process, like that's a big institutional change. That's a big problem. But I think anytime you see that human interaction in a transaction, I'll say, in, a, in an administrative role, that's an opportunity for automation. And I, the, the interesting thing, we talked a little bit about this kind of balance of automation and, and high touch human. And, and what I see the best institutions doing well is saying, when someone can self-serve, they should, and we should make it super easy. I don't wanna make you get on the phone. You know, I had this with buying a car. I like configured the car I wanted. I said, I'd like to order this. And they said, please call us. I said, well, why do I wanna call you? I just like, and then I got on the phone. And I say, can you walk me through the configuration you want? I've got the app open right here. I go, I did that online. Just like send me the car. I'm like, well, you gotta come into the branch to confirm. I don't want to I don't want to come into the dealership. I just want to like, I want to buy the car. And so we often put the human in the middle of a customer who just wants to transact, right? And we know that from like nobody wants to call in to check their balance. They want to like pick up their phone and see it. I think often we do that. And the thing that I think is people sometimes mistake is they think that means you want to do it everywhere. And I don't, I think you want to take your people and put them at the point where the customer needs them, right? Hey, do I, what's the difference between this 15 year and 30 year mortgage? And uh, the, I see this interest only or this arm, like what are these things and how do I make a smart choice? Uh, I want a person, what's a Roth IRA and an IRA and a 401k and like, what's a money market account and a CD and a savings account, which of these should I be using and what, like, I don't, most consumers need help navigating those choices. Now, once I've said, hey, I, I need a Roth IRA, I don't need someone to like have require me to get on the phone to make a deposit or to open the account. I want to automate that transactional administrative process as much as possible. Um, but I want to make sure that those people are available and easy to get to. Don't make me call in and go through seven levels of phone tree, 
because your staff's all on the phone verifying identity and, and asking for documentation, like free your staff up to be immediately available to help people in that moment. And so I think that, that kind of sense of people who want to automate, want to automate everything, I think is a, is a misnomer, but we just, there's so much, I mean, you go through any lending process today, um, any account opening process, and there's almost always a call us, upload something. And whenever you're uploading, somebody is on the other end looking at the thing that you uploaded. And that's almost always something that could be done either with, you know, visual recognition on an uploaded document, or often, you know, we do this in auto refi. A lot of times you say, uh, give me the VIN on your car. Well, it turns out uh, that's a really high friction thing for a customer to do, go get the VIN on their car. Uh, if you just give me your name and address, almost all the DMVs have a database where I can kind of like a credit pool, figure out the VIN on the vehicle and I can connect it to the loan that you have. And so we can take that would have been frictionful process of give me your VIN and just say, hey, we found we found this you know, 2010 Toyota Corolla. Is that the car you're trying to, to refinance? And it looks like you got a loan at you know, Bank of America, is that the loan? And like, and you can connect those things very, very clearly through automation. So I just think you've got to really think about how do I do that and take the burden off my people to do, frankly, boring administrative tasks and off the consumer to do a bunch of work uh, in order to get to a place that you could have done without making either of them do those things. Yeah, I think institutions maybe are struggling with that where to automate versus where not to automate question. I, I think that'll be a strategic differentiator for the future. Um, yeah, I agree. So Upstart, you you use factors beyond credit score to determine mm-hmm. credit worthiness, like education and employment. I mm-hmm. know auto loans are a huge use case for Upstart. It's facilitated 1.5 billion in auto loans on its platform in 2022. Uh, but I wondered where oh. else, yeah? That's the goal. I mean, 2022 is not over, so that's what we're- 2021, sorry, yeah. <laughs> oh. Uh, I misspoke. My apologies. But where else are financial institutions applying your solution? And are there any Hmm. surprises for you? Oh, there's always surprises. But, um, you know, we started, so our underwriting model really began in unsecured personal loans. Uh, And that's still the bulk of the originations we do uh, with our lending partners. Um, and, And that's for a very specific reason, which is if you think about what you said, we use credit, you know, scores, data points beyond just a credit score to help understand the risk of a given borrower for a given loan uh, and help you then approve. I mean, the fundamental understanding we had that we came to that, you know, why do you leave Google and start a fintech company? I mean, what, what we saw in the market was that many more Americans are credit worthy than have credit scores that would cause a typical financial institution to lend to them, right? And I think everybody in finance knows this to be true. And maybe this is the thing we learned is, how underappreciated this fact is. Because you look at like a subprime loan pool that a bank would go, I could never be there. And it's 20 or 25% losses or 30% losses, right? And that that still means it's 70 or 75 or 80% good borrowers. And we're turning away the 80% because we couldn't identify the 20. And to me, that's the surprise or the learning is like, if you think of your goal in credit underwriting as managing to a particular loss target, you can do that with credit scores and other things. I can have a 3% loss portfolio, but I do it at the expense of declining a lot of applicants who would have paid me back, right? I, that whole subprime pool that I just said no to all of them with the low credit score. Turns out 80% of them were going to pay me and I declined all of them. And I think that was underappreciated in the industry, what we came in to do. And, and the reason I say that is the place where that's most true, where that most impacts the ability of a consumer to get a loan is in an unsecured loan. Because there's no, there's no collateral to say, hey, I'm okay with a slightly lower credit score because at least 
I've got a lean on the car or I've got a lean on the home. Like they don't have that. And so we've kind of worked our way from the place where that understanding of payment risk is the most important to expanding access to credit uh, and worked our way, you know, unsecured. And we're working our way down um, down the path towards auto. And, and you can imagine going towards mortgage and small, medium business. So we're primarily today in auto and personal loan. We're actively working in small, medium business, smaller dollar loan, something more akin to what people use payday for. So shorter duration, smaller dollar. The average personal loan is like 10,000. What about somebody who needs 500 or 1,000? We're working on that uh, and looking at mortgage as well. Because I think the fundamental fact that more Americans are low risk than we understand to be low risk because of their credit score is true across the board. And it's just a question of where is that most valuable um, and, and where do we want to apply that, that realization first? I think pretty open to exploring that with you or, or the banking market, uh, or do you find that maybe there's different range banks that are more interested or less interested? Yeah, there's, uh, there's not a, like a size or something else that indicates the more or less. I think most institutions I talk to uh, acknowledge that like, I mean, you can look at the data and go, yeah, there's like, Clearly, there's a lot of people who are credit worthy that we don't lend to. I mean, every bank knows every every product owner I talk to is trying to go, how do I get that, you know, start approving this next tranche of customers to grow my portfolio to serve my customers better. Um, so I think everybody acknowledges that that, that there's a that there's a, a mismatch between scoring and, and real risk, and that there's probably an ability to close it. Um, so they're all interested from that level. Go, yeah, this is a real problem and it should be solvable. Okay. Uh, and then there's a question of like, am I comfortable with the way you're solving it? And I think there you see a pretty wide range of um, people who go, we just can't, you know, we don't get it. Um, we don't want to go there. And, and a lot of institutions in an increasing number um, that are very comfortable with, with the approach and that are saying, hey, this is, this is the future. And we want to be there first so we can do a better job serving our customers of winning customers in the marketplace by, by understanding who deserves a good rate and is getting a bad one. And, and we can go win that customer to our institution. Um, and I think the, probably the biggest question is less, are the models right? Like, are you predicting risk accurately? We've got lots of data to show that. And more a question of, will our regulators be okay with the way this is being done? Um, and, and that's why we, you know, we went as a, as a FinTech company uh, to the CFPB very early in our existence before we had worked with a bank partner to originate a single loan and said, hey, we, we've got this technology and we believe it can increase access to credit and decrease the cost of credit. That's good. Um, but there's these questions around regulatory compliance. How do we think about fair lending in the context of these variables and this kind of model? And we worked with that with the bureau to develop a kind of a compliance and testing program, um, and that ultimately resulted in their issuing us a no action letter. It was a three year letter. At the end of three years, they issued us a new three year letter, and we're kind of in the middle of the application of that letter. We report right data regulated the bureau. So, and that tells me they were interested in engaging. They were great partners at the bureau, and, and that I think points to you that while individual institutions may be concerned about the regulator. The regulators we talk to in, in the central offices are very interested in, in enabling these kinds of technologies to open up access and decrease the cost of credit. Um, and you know they wanna make sure it's tested properly, that it's managed properly, but there's a real willingness to do that. And the banks we've seen engage with the regulators have had a really positive experience engaging on that. So I, I think it's, a, it's an understandable concern. And of course, the one of the said learnings, one of the learnings for me is like, Every relationship between an examiner and a financial institution is different, right? It's not like, the, oh, the OCC said this. Like, well, one person at the OCC said that, but when I walk into a different regional office or a different examiner and their relationship and their history with a particular institution and how that's gone, they all vary. And so it's not a uniform, simple answer 
Um, that's something we learned along the way. But I think there, there's a motion towards a movement towards how do we make this thing possible? Because the benefits to both the financial institutions in terms of safety and soundness, truly understanding the credit risk on their books and to the consuming population about actually being able to open up access to traditionally underserved communities is so great. You've been listening to The Buzz, a Bank Automation News podcast. Thank you for your time and be sure to visit us at bankautomationnews.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Please don't hesitate to rate this podcast on your platform of choice. Thank you.